All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Kill Your Internet podcast. With you today is your boy Colin, and with us today, we have our bass player, Mr. Ken Bianco. How are we doing today, buddy? Good. It's fucking hot out. It is hot out. Now he's going to talk shit on the fact that I'm wearing jeans. Yeah, <laughs> wearing jeans. It's like 100 degrees outside. It is. Uh, I was just trying to look nice today. If there's a yeah, problem with it. I, I told you before, but these are Uniqlo, so they're basically, I don't even, they're like almost like sleep pants. Do you call them sleep pants or do you call them pajama pants? Um, Pajama pants. All right. Well, whatever. They're sleep pants to me. I still get made fun of for that by my brother and Dana, so... <laughs> We are coming to you live from our rehearsal studio. Figure we we up the quality a little bit, and as Ken pointed out, the video kind of just looks like we're filming a hostage video. <laughs> oh no, it looks like that one hundred percent. We just get like a green tapestry to put like a green screen in. Yeah, we can this we, we can just film ourselves there. in a hostage video. Uh, no, but I. I brought some. I wanted to make Ken feel more at home to the Westchester house where we started the band. So uh, I put up our old American flag, put in some more, uh, just some random shit from our old house. So yeah, uh, this might be the most broish episode, most broish backdrop of all time. It looks like we're in the basement right now. It does. House, it looks so. like we're in the basement of a college house. So shout out to us for that. Uh, we are in the midst of release week part one. Uh, we have something's going on. Our new single dropping on Friday. Ken Bianco is responsible. He's got a writing credit on this song. So Kenny, how do you feel? It's great to see something that started out with drinking some wine and then some. sending you a some <laughs> and sending you a demo. And thank God it didn't turn out like crap when I sent you the demo. Basically, what happened was I had sent a text to the the group and said, "Yo, I need, I need some inspiration. Somebody, if you have an idea for anything, just send it my way. We'll see what comes of it." And uh, Ken, do you want to tell them the rest? I drank a bunch of wine and then I was like, "Yeah." Hey, I think we got something here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Sends me a voice memo, and it's absolute fire. It's legitimately the baseline of something's going on. I'm proud of you. That It was a great oh, fucking job. Man. You should be. Look, at, I'm, Ken, gonna, I'm gonna get a monthly subscription to some wine company now. <laughs> so I can just... Yeah, any wine company who wants to, you know, kind of forge Ken's songwriting career, start. We're gonna get you a sponsorship with Wink. That's what my wife gets all the wine sent there to her yeah, a nice wine cellar built in the house. And there you go. After it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, I This is the most normal I think I've felt in a long time. Uh, we have a song coming out. It's a great fucking song, by the way, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I feel as though Zeros is just the best possible step in the right direction we're going to take. Um, I feel really confident. I just think something's going on is so good. Shouts out to Erica Ruiz, who is just an absolute monster. Killed it. Killed it. Is this the first time I've ever given more than one writing credit out on a song? We got four writers on this. Ken, Will, and Jimmy all got writing credits. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel great. I like part of me is still so pent up and it's uh, like there's still this like notion of not really knowing what the hell is going on in the industry, but part of me feels really good about that because I, we talk about it later in the interview. By the way, our interview this week, we have Mr. Rob Snyder, country songwriter. He wrote uh, You Get the Best of Me by uh, Luke Combs. Huge summer smash for all our country people out there. Luke uh, is awesome. Luke Combs is awesome. Rob Snyder is awesome. Westchester's own, Westchester, Pennsylvania, and once again, for those of you who don't know, has a very special place in Foxtrot's heart. It's where me and Ken met. It's where me, Ken, and Erica met. But me and Ken started Foxtrot in the dorms at Westchester University. So it's a small world. Also... Rob's actually from Delaware County. No way. What part? He went Springfield. <laughs> he went to he went to O'Hara. Oh shit, that makes sense. The Philadelphia Catholic League is well represented in today's episode as an Archbishop. Yeah, not Ken. Fuck Ken. But no, no. <laughs> public, public school all the way. Haverford. Go Loser. For, go Forts. <laughs> Yo, Ken's high school mascot is a fucking truck. It's a Model T Ford, and it's it's Haverford. So the Fords, it's. It's stupid. Man. I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, what is this? I mean, ours is in trouble. Ours I was going to say, at least yeah, ours the Ryan is the Raider, uh, and our mascot is basically the Washington Redskins mascot. There is a large petition going around right now to change our school's mascot. You can at least keep the name. I yeah, just like. change it to something else. Who cares? I don't. First off, you're not going to get a flight from anybody in Northeast Philly because it's like, all right, whatever. Uh, we're not going to like fight you on this. Also, our school has two mascots. So Archbishop Bryan used to be a guy's school and a girl's school. So the guys were the Raiders and the girls were the Ragdolls. <laughs> it's still to this day, it's the Raiders and the Ragdolls. I mean, Ragdolls could be a pretty cool name. It's not, though. It's, it's Well, the thing is, too, it's because there used to be so many kids in the school. Now mm. nobody's really going to Catholic school you anymore. Can, you can make it like Steven Tyler's face, and then you guys <laughs> just come out to Make it an Aerosmith flip? <laughs> I love it. But no, nah, man, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I just also, before we get into segments, I just want to say this. So a lot of us in the band are, are formally or even currently 
parts of the the Philadelphia service community, the the bartending community, and uh, we lost a friend today. His name is Ben Herman. He was a fan of the band, and um, uh, he passed away. And I know a lot of people in the community are hurting right now. Ben was a legend. Uh, also served our country as a Marine. So shouts out to Ben. Uh, rest in peace, buddy. We love you. Also, uh, we didn't get to touch on this, but John Lewis, the representative, uh, uh, yeah. civil rights leader, served our country for decades, marched with Martin Luther King Jr., um, still fighting, fought for us up until his death, uh, passed away. So, uh, shouts out to an American hero, John Lewis, uh, for everything you did for our country. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll move into segments now. Uh, we'll, we'll start off with the wildest shit that we've seen on the internet. First off, I, I don't want to start with this, but I have to. Kanye West is... He's out, he's out of bounds right now. I don't know what's going on. I yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I you know you know the story more than I do. I yeah. just saw like a quick headline. I'll run it. through the story. Obviously, Kanye's been dealing with some issues for a while now, and sometimes it's been you can write it off as funny. Sometimes it's offensive because of everything he does politically. And as a Kanye fan, it's been fucking harder and harder to like still continue to, I don't know if the word defend is, but write off what he's doing. What you're watching right now is somebody who's struggling mightily with mental health. And he had his first presidential campaign rally last night in South Carolina. First off, why he picked South Carolina, I don't know. He's from Chicago. Um, but he hasn't filled out any of his paperwork. He can't get on the ballot in most states. I don't know if this is performance art. I think it's that publicity. It's just annoying. Well, not annoying, but like... It's annoying, yeah. When you're that talented of an artist, yeah, you should be able just to, in my opinion, let your work speak, and you don't have to do all the jumping through hoops. And but I guess that's what he wants to do. To me, well, I think what you're definitely watching is somebody dealing with mental health issues because yep. he is bipolar, mm-hmm. and he's obviously going through an episode right now. Uh, if you watch the video, he starts like forcibly crying in the middle of it, talking about abortion and screaming, basically. And he mentions that he says off the cuff, unprovoked, that Harriet Tubman didn't actually free slaves. And you can audibly hear people in the crowd saying, oh my God, dude, what the fuck? And I'm just saying from someone who loves Kanye's music, I just want the guy to get help. And I think what you're seeing is somebody who has a lot of yes men Mm -hmm. in his corner. And I I don't even know what to say about his family. I I, I was just going to say it also doesn't help when... Because I'm sure it seems like his kids are very good. Yeah. But when you have a family life... Where who you're married to has cameras around 24-7. 24-7. It's not good for the man. It's not healthy. But somebody needs to step in. I don't know if it's Jay-Z or somebody somebody who truly cares for this man. Like, not somebody who can get anything off of him or wants to see the circus continue. I just hope that this man gets the help that he needs because it's not fucking funny anymore. And I'm just saying that from a fan's perspective, I, j- I just want, to, if God forbid Kanye ever hears this, I just want the man to be healthy and I want him to make great music and I want him to be happy and uh, like a stable human being. That's mm-hmm. that's where I see it. Because I've had to defend myself numerous times as to, you know, how the fuck can you still support Kanye? And I don't, I'm not saying I support anything he does. I just love his music. Yeah. Uh, but I just want the man to get help. Damn, that's somber. Uh, <laughs> the second one's funnier. Uh, have you seen the thing with the Toronto Blue Jays or the formerly Toronto Blue Jays? Oh, no. Wait, they're former now? Kind of. So the government in Canada said that they are not allowing the Toronto Blue Jays to play their season in Canada. Basically because they don't want people going back and forth between America and Canada and bringing the virus with them. Uh, so they don't want the players going back and Yeah, forth. so they cannot play in Canada this I year. I thought at first it was like there's a big pack of Blue Jays fans <laughs> 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 Yeah, they have the, the flock yeah, travels across borders to games they can't go to. They're just going to tailgate. But the solution might be fucking awesome. And the number one solution, apparently right now, is to play the games in Buffalo, New York. Bill's Mafia gets another team. Yeah, and I mean, that's not good for Toronto. You're going to be on the hot seat now. If, yeah. If they show up and they get support and love in the city, what's not what's Could you imagine? Why Why does Buffalo have more sports scenes to begin with? Because I feel like they're like a sister city to Philadelphia. They're insane. Obviously, Bill's Mafia is off the chart, slamming people through tables. I always thought it was like Buffalo is to New York what Pittsburgh is to Philly. Yeah, I, I that's true. Except the, the fact- size Western state. That's, that's why I say that. It's but. funny. Last, last week on the podcast, we had Matt Henry on, uh, and he's a huge Steelers fan. And I asked him the question. I always ask people, why does Pittsburgh get nice things? 
That backwater town, I said to Matt, I said, you guys have contributed absolutely nothing to the history of America besides steel. And he was like, well, that's kind of a big deal. Steel and Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, it's okay. They've done some shit. But, like, you don't deserve that many championships. We're the cradle of freedom. Yeah. Can we please just get more championships? I don't know. It's a shame, too, because I... I haven't been to Pittsburgh since I was probably a kid, I think, I went there. But everyone's like, oh, beautiful city. Do you remember when we drove through it to get to the, the gathering in Louisville last year? And all their traffic diverges into one lane and, like, four different bridges? I flew to Louisville. Oh, so. fuck you, dude. I <laughs> forgot about that. Fuck you. Um, all right. but So the other solution in this in this scenario is that they're thinking about having the Blue Jays play in the Rays Stadium. The Rays are located in Florida. Why do we keep putting things in Florida? Yeah, the solution should never be Florida. Florida. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's legitimately if you were to look at a map in the in the world and like the hot spots are highlighted, if everything else is red, Florida's purple. Like Miami, Florida is the hot spot. So we just keep putting all the professional sports down there? Yeah, I don't I I never got why the NBA is there. Well, I get because Orlando's yeah, like I get facility, it. but... Yeah, I would, it it all comes back to the mouse, bro. It all comes back to Disney. They own everything. Well, the damn mouse. Couldn't get the NHL. The NHL solution actually sounds pretty Yeah, well, solid. they have to keep everybody in Canada. Edmonton and Toronto. I just found this out. Canada always seems like they have this, like, superiority complex to us. Do you know how many people live in Canada? Probably not a lot. It's 38 a lot of, million. That's nothing. Do you know how many live in America? 330 million so ten, people. About 10 times. 10 times the people. It's probably a more manageable thing, especially when your country's not necessarily built on absolute civil liberty. And a lot of that's probably in Toronto because I think Toronto has a higher population than Philly. Yeah. And we're like the fifth or sixth biggest. Well, you got to look at it. If you look at Canada and their population chart, like most of Canada's population is circulated in like five cities. Yeah. The rest of it is barren wilderness. But you know what? Shouts to Canada. We, we get into Canada a little bit later in the podcast too with Rob. So we'll get into that. Uh, other than that, uh, did you see this story about this attorney general and her son? So apparently this attorney general in New Jersey, her and her son were attacked by somebody dressed as a FedEx driver. This sounds like it's out of a fucking espionage movie. Mm-hmm. Because And the son got murdered because she took a case that had something to do with Epstein. They think they're tying it back to that. Oh, God. Dude, what the fuck? This is just a mess. It's a goddamn mess, Ken. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense, dude. It's, it's something's going on here. I'm not even a big conspiracy. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I've gotten more into conspiracies, but that one is true. Like the Ep- the whole Epstein thing. Uh, does this Jelaine Maxwell lady make it out alive? No, I don't. I don't. Why aren't they so. live streaming her cell like 24 seven? Yeah, I don't. It's you can keep her alive pretty easy. Yeah, like, this can't be that hard. Also, don't put her in New York. Put her in like Idaho. Nobody can get there. I yeah. brought this up. Why? Well, first of all, I brought up Idaho before. Why isn't? Why aren't all the sports in like Idaho and Montana? There's nobody there. I guess they probably don't have the um, infrastructure. Infrastructure to house and play the game. All right, Wisconsin. Use the University of Wisconsin. There's like, no, nah, there's more people in Wisconsin. That would be smart though. Any um, campus that shut down, you can literally just yeah. Why not? Throw them there. The other thing that I have on the wildest shit. Antonio Brown has, for the third time in the past six months, retired from football. <laughs> Why, dude? That poor... Once again, we talk about mental illness. That dude's going through some shit, too. Yeah. Goddamn, um, Vontez perfect. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's, like, CTE or just... <laughs> He's the first person with walking CTE. Seriously. It's... Jeez, I go off Twitter for so long and I don't find out. Yeah, about Ken, any of so this. Ken did the smart thing that I've always wanted to do. He got off Twitter. He actually got off Twitter. So and like every, now every story you told me, probably besides I saw a little bit about the Kanye and a little bit about the judge, I have not heard a single thing about. Congratulations. You're living a better life than I am. Literally, I'm, you're breaking news right now. The one person. <laughs> Sounder. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to what the fuck we've been into, what the fuck we've been listening to. Uh, Ken, you want to go first? Yeah. So um, my first one is going to come off that new Haim album. Outstanding. Oh, so good. Definitely the best album to date. Um, another try is probably my. Favorite. I haven't gotten into the new record yet. I just love that. I love Heim. Yeah, this is um definitely their best sounding album. Yeah, that's incredible Easily. because "Want You Back" is like to me like a perfect pop song from the past mm-hmm. ten years. So it, there's a song "Don't Wanna" on there you want to listen to. It's very much in that in that vein realm of their sound. Yeah. Uh, my first one, I actually because we have Rob Snyder on today, I'm gonna go with a pop country song, and I'm gonna go with it kind of reflecting back to. Our Westchester days. I picked Drunk Ass Home by Luke Bryan. Oh, I love Luke Bryan. Me and Ken 
spent many a day drunk on our roof listening to Luke Bryan and me writing Luke Bryan-esque songs yeah, <laughs> that I can't sing. The greatest, <laughs> greatest <laughs> Gonsester songs. Me and Ken have a theory that Luke Bryan writes 150 songs at a clip and only 10 of them are clean enough to actually put on a record. And they're just like, you know, beer. And yeah, beer. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it there because they're, they're not appropriate. But yeah. uh, Drunk Ass Home from Luke Bryan. Ken, what's your second? Um, so this band I've been listening to for a little bit, they're called um, Jim Cotta. Okay. They're like, um, not quite sure where they're from, but their sound, if I had to describe them, are like kind of Young the Giant meets Ooh. Minus the Bear. Oh, sweet. So like a lot of synth stuff, but... The vocalist sounds like the guy from Young the Giant. They had this new single, Want to Go, that cool. is very catchy. And yeah, I'm going to check that. I'm going to put that. What has Young the Giant been up to? I guess they're kind of caking. So they they, really they um, came out with a new album I actually just listened to last week. It's pretty good. They got like so, they got on at the perfect time. And they like, they, only, they were only a band for like a year and a half before they just exploded with my body. Yeah, they just had that very um, alternative, alternative friendly radio yeah. sound that just, you know. My second pick is a Ken favorite. I picked Jameer Kwai. Ooh. Uh, when I showed my sister, who is a uh, music snob, and also uh, she has a great ear, I sent my sister the record, and Nicole loves Something's Going On, and she said it's got a serious Jameer Kwai vibe. Really? So if anybody's interested in an early Think Funk, Think think Space Cowboy. Um, oh, yeah, Space Cowboy. Well, Ken wrote the bass line, so you know it's going to be... It's nothing like the Space Cowboy bass line. <laughs> no, what? But I picked Can't Heat. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with Can't Heat, it's the song from Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite Dave Dances to. But I was in here before Ken got here, and I was just singing Can't Heat to myself. You can't help but dance. It's so catchy. It's the fucking funky shit. Yeah. I don't understand why Jamiroquai isn't more heralded than he is. Um. Yeah, they just never really picked up in the States. I'm not sure why, but... But if you hear a Jamiroquai song out, I'm going for it, dude. Yeah. JK. Good yeah. man. Ken, what's your third? So my third is I've been on a really big um it's gonna be my third with a little bonus. An extra on. Nice. Um I've been on a big Sting solo kick. Nice. Um, Englishman in New York is kind of the one that's been Hell on yeah. a great song. I found out because as anyone knows, Sting's a police reggae. Yeah. In twenty eighteen he did a whole album with Shaggy. Yeah, I knew that. It's fucking awesome. It I is just, awesome. I, I found about it on Friday. I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing today. <laughs> I got my plans up for the day. Shaggy and Sting. Uh, (laughs) My last one is not as cool, but it is. It is so. uh, Juice World, uh, rapper from Chicago, who passed away earlier this year, uh, was only 21. Dude was super young, super talented, um, and they released his first posthumous album. It's called Legends Never Die. So almost legends don't die. Uh, Largest streaming week in the world so far this year. I picked the song Righteous, which was the first single off it. Incredible. If you actually listen to the record, there's a lot of like pop punk shit that goes on. He sings yeah, a lot. Yeah, he kind of, I always notice, I only heard a couple of his songs, but his melodies that he does, a lot very of pop much punk shit. harpens back to pop punk kind yeah. of ideas. Rest in peace, Juice. Um, you know, I will say when, when Juice was coming around at first, I thought he was more of a label plant than he was anything. Uh, I thought they were really kind of like uh, capitalizing on like the sing-songy type of thing. Mm. And he had a lot of talent, man. And yeah. uh, I gave him more, more, more of a run recently. But shouts out to Juice World, talent gone way too soon. And Righteous is a great song, so stream that album. Um, before we get into our interview with Rob Snyder, let's go into our coronavirus survival guide for the week. Ken, this one's going to get heated. Now I'm also going to bring this up. This is not the first time we've done this. I had I had a technical <laughs> mishap this week. I deleted three episodes of the podcast that were unreleased by accident by cleaning out my computer and uh, had a complete meltdown. But me and Eric had a version of this last week, which I'm just going to put Eric on blast. Your list was your list was trash. Absolute <laughs> trash. He, the list, the coronavirus survival guide for this episode is things that people, everyone likes, but you don't understand and you don't like. So Eric's were summer, the beach, and seltzer. First off, seltzer's delicious. Like, is he just talking spike seltzers? Any seltzer. I'm literally drinking seltzer right now. And it's Eric said, and I quote, if you drink seltzer, you can catch these hands. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> seltzer's delicious. <laughs> I, I love seltzer. That. But, and the beach, <laughs> Eric's exact words for the beach were, Sandy, the sun, I'm pale, I'm fat, I don't want to be at the beach. <laughs> so... Uh, those are all things that I love the beach, I love summer, and I love seltzer. So me and Eric squared up shortly after That's that. a great baseline because now whatever we say isn't as bad as Eric's. Right, yeah, so um, I'll go first. And my first one, I don't know if it's going to be controversial. It will be to younger listeners. I don't understand FaceTime. Why the fuck do people love FaceTime so much? 
Yeah, I kind of am with you on that. Like, I get it sometimes if you, like, you want to have like a long conversation with someone that you haven't seen in a while. Sure, it's yeah, that's nice. my point. If one of your boys is with a friend of yours that you haven't seen in a while and they FaceTime you and they're like, yo, look who I'm with, I get it. But if you're in public with FaceTime on, like you're at a gas station and you're at the counter and you're FaceTiming somebody with like it on speaker full blast, I don't get it. That's the purpose of a phone. Right. That's well, my whole thing is phone. nobody looks good on FaceTime. Everybody's no, ugly on FaceTime. And yeah, call me. If you FaceTime me 90% of the time, I'm a like kill the kill the call, call you back and say, "Yeah, why'd you FaceTime me?" Yeah, there's like some in between where they people are younger, I guess it's younger people. It's younger people love they can, FaceTime. They can text and they can FaceTime, but I guess the phone got lost somewhere. So FaceTime's my first pick. Uh Ken, what's yours? My first pick is going to be outdoor running in general. All right. See, I was hoping we'd give something we disagree on. I like to run outdoors. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong. I like go into the gym and I get cardio, treadmill, elliptical, all yeah, that. Yeah. But like, it's hot out. Like, hot as fuck. Unless like it's like pristine, perfect. And plus, like, if I ever ran outside, I'm like, where do I go? I don't enjoy like running in general. I just do it because I'm vain. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, my second pick. You might want to square up me on this one. I don't like video games. I don't understand. Yeah, you really games. didn't. I don't know. I fucking I don't get it. Look, as a kid, we've talked about this on previous episodes. I like N sixty four games. Like when I was a little kid, as soon as I hit PS two, my thumbs and my brain stopped working <laughs> together, and I just suck at video games. I don't understand it. It's not fun to me. It feels like a waste of time. And I know people love them. It's an escape. I know you like video games. Yeah, it's more than, like I don't do like the multiplayer. I got I like I think last year I did Call of Duty, and I was like, oh, let me get on here. I used to play this in high school. I like. Got killed by some like eight year old and got cursed out. I don't, I dude. Like, I don't own a, an Xbox or a PS4. Look, I know that makes me weird. I know this is what I'm talking about. This whole segment is things that people love that you don't get. I don't fucking get video games, mostly because I suck at them, but I just don't do it. Read a book. Good. <laughs> so, my second one is it's a stance I had for a long time that I'm going through now. I'm actually changing it, but I never got all the hype, and you're going to the Marvel movies. Dude, you know what, Ken? We're going to have to... <laughs> this is where we fist fight. Explain yourself. Well, like, my whole thing was, with me, if I don't catch something when it's coming, uh, then I just get lost behind it. So now... I'm going back with Mary, and we're watching all the Marvel movies. Where are you at? I'm at the second Avengers right now. No, back, well, and I've I've seen a couple here and there, but I never watched them, and they they are very good. It's shout just, out to Michael Roman, our Marvel insider, the biggest Marvel insider in the world, who's been on the podcast. I'm gonna make Michael Roman be your ass. I I am a I'm a known Marvel nerd. I love Marvel movies. It's funny. My third actually is kind of the same thing, but Star Wars. I don't get Star Wars. Yeah, I don't get that. Either. I don't understand it at all. I keep watching these movies expecting to like them. And maybe it's because I didn't grow up with it. I was going to say the only thing I can think of is the generation that grew up with it. That movie was their first time ever seeing, like, wow, this yeah. crazy movie in space. So that can have an impact. But our generation. Every once in a while, I'll watch it and I'll be like, okay, that was cool. Mm -hmm. But like. It just never. I fought Game of Thrones for a while. I didn't get Game of Thrones, and I love Game of Thrones now. But like, I keep waiting for my. It's like I I put it with Radiohead. I was waiting for my Radiohead moment where they made sense to me for a very long time, and it happened. I fell in love mm -hmm. with it. I've been waiting for my entire lifetime for this Star Wars thing to hit, and Paul Shuley is gonna kill me for this because he <laughs> loves Star Wars. And I'm talking to Wendy Rollins later. I know she loves Star Wars too. I don't fucking get it. I hope Paul. You, I hope Paul sends you a FaceTime. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> Paul's a FaceTimer. <laughs> What's your last one? My last one, which I know is you. You watch these sometimes, but the the whole Bravo TV shows ah. minus Top Chef. I don't care. <laughs> yes, in the Budney household, Bravo is ubiquitous. Uh, I watch all the Real Housewives. You can tell I'm married, by the way. Uh, Vanderpump mm -hmm. Rules, all that nonsense. I've been suckered into it. Uh, I get why you don't like it. I mean, it's just people fun. Do you like Jersey Shore? No, well, see, my my um, trashy drama is a challenge. That's why I get my right. Yeah, we all so. need our trashy outlet. Yeah, yeah it's kind of it's, it makes you feel better about yourself when it's like, oh, look at these terrible few people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thank God well, about I mean, that. <laughs> I'm still a Jersey Shore guy, first and foremost. I went back during quarantine and rewatched all of Jersey Shore. I had a great time. That's also like we nostalgia. went to Jersey Shore. Yeah. Nostalgia, like. Kind of get it. Well, I it was one of those things do. where for a very long time, my wife watches Bravo all the time, and I would come down and be like, well, my time to go upstairs. And uh, then I was like, 
What's that lady doing? Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I just I just got into it eventually. Shouts out to Andy Cohen. I'd love to have you on the podcast. He's the guy who <laughs> runs all the Bravo stuff. Yeah. He's also you know who his best friend is? John Mayer. John right? Mayer, yeah. yeah. Shouts out really. to John Mayer. Also another person I'd like to have on the podcast. Um see ours wasn't as contentious as Eric's, but like Well, Eric just picked Asinine things. Yeah. Fuck Eric. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go to our interview with Rob Snyder. Uh, if you want to check anything out from the band, obviously keep it up on the Instagram. Check out Spotify. We have a song dropping on Friday. We also have another episode coming out on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be Wendy Rollins. Of course, everybody knows Wendy Rollins of iHeartRadio. Alt 104.5. I'm saying Radio 104.5. Radio 104.5. Yeah. She's been a national radio person Friend of the band, absolute wonderful human being. She's going to be on Thursday. Uh, Ken, anything before we go? Nah, I think you got it covered. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, we're going to head over to Rob Snyder. Fuck you guys. Love you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's guest on the Kill Your Internet podcast is country songwriter Rob Snyder. Rob, how are we doing today, buddy? Doing great. Dude, great to have you. Um, first off, Obviously, if someone down in Nashville, how's quarantine treating you? It is, uh, it's getting old. Yeah, That's same here. Sure. <laughs> Dude, so, I mean, I had talked to, we had a, a friend of ours from Nashville named Nate Moran, who's a session drummer down there on the podcast last week. And he said basically nothing had changed in Nashville. It seemed like it was still pretty much up and running and everything. Has that been your impression as well? I mean, honestly, it was, everything was shut down for a while. And then we started to, we were supposed to open up May 1st. They push it back to May 8th. Yeah. And then we were like, you know, one of those, one of those states that they're like, oh, we're just going (laughs) to see what happens to be the experiment. And then it came back to kind of bite us in the ass because, you know, at this point, all my friends and family are back in Westchester, PA. So I'm, I'm laughing at them like, oh, my God, you guys got it so much worse than here. And now it's not the case. <laughs> now, now it's the I, other way around. Um, I mean, I mean, dude, it's been killing me not to be able to get to town, get to Nashville, or get to L.A. and get to writing and everything like that. But I'm kind of happy that I'm in the situation where I am here in Philly to where, yeah. you know, we're playing a little bit more safe. Then again, our economy in this city doesn't run as heavily on the entertainment industry as opposed to Nashville, which is like that's your lifeblood. Yeah. Um. I mean, to just get back to your original question, what you asked me is, did anything really change? I mean, I know people were still writing and doing a lot of Zoom writing. And then once we got the clearance where it's like, okay, we're looking good. I actually went back, wrote with a few people and then got calls shortly thereafter from those people I was writing with. Like, hey, I just tested positive. Oh, for no. COVID. And I have an eight month pregnant wife right now. So <laughs> it's like, so I went and got checked out and, uh, and was negative to the antibodies and negative on coronavirus. But I just couldn't believe that, like, I was with two different people, like, in a very close space. Because when you write in these writing rooms, it's like a four, eight by eight wall. Oh, like, yeah. Literally sitting right next to the person sharing a bag of beef jerky with them. Yeah, and I and, mean, in your, that's an environment, too, where you're, you're just growing out with the guy, you're hanging out, the guy or girl, and you're just like, you're in close proximity. And especially as you get more comfortable throughout the write, you get even, you know, you're, you're sharing space. And it's, yep. uh, I don't know, man. And, and I guess that brings me to my first question, too, because I, I myself am a songwriter as well. Obviously, it's how you make your money. What, what has that been like? Because I know I've been doing a lot of these Zoom sessions, and it's not the same for me, but I'm getting something done. Like, how have you felt about the, the process of writing for Zoom as opposed to writing in person? At first, I had a tough time. The first month, I, I did not even pick up my guitar. Really? Yeah, I did not pick up my guitar. Um, I didn't want to do Zoom. I didn't want to do FaceTime right. I didn't want to talk about songs. I was kind of like just overwhelmed at what's going on. You Absolutely. don't know what to believe. And then I started to come around to it. I was like, okay, this is the, I have a tough time accepting the whole term, the new normal. Oh, no, I'm not for that at all. This is not the new normal. This is a speed bump, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So, I did get in there. Um, and then it's like, you know, you have a tough time. Uh, you, you try to, you're trying to write something that lasts forever. I mean, just to, to back it up a second, it's like, like when you write a song in Nashville and to try to get a song on the radio, you're, you're staring at each other. You try to write, make something up out of nothing. And then the goal is to make it last forever. 100%. And um, when you're doing this from a computer is weird. Now um, the positive sides of it are, you know, we're zooming right now. I could not be wearing pants and you would never know. Um, I'm not, dude. That's yeah. the crazy part. 
so that's a cool thing. Also, you can't over talk. You have to listen. You know, if you ask a question, you listen and you think about what you say a little bit more before you say it. And I think in most of these Zoom rights, you know if you're going to get anywhere within the first 30 minutes. 100%. And, and if you're not, it's kind of no big deal. It's no pressure. But a lot of times, you know, if you, you get on a roll and get something started, it, it's taught me to be more prepared in certain rights where I'm like, I don't think this guy's going to bring in um, an idea or, yeah. you know, or something like that. And, and uh, if you come a little prepared, people are a little more apt to uh, work a little harder and think on their feet if you bring something. I mean, too, we've all been in that situation in national writing rooms, too, where you have a right schedule. You don't really know the guy. And then you show up and then nothing really materializes. You kick things around for a couple of minutes and you wind up yeah. wasting a half an hour to an hour. In this sure. situation, if I'm going to be doing something through Zoom, I want something to materialize because it's such a unique situation. But not only that, like we're trying something different. And plus, I mean, there's always those things where rights in Nashville can turn into drinking session and stuff like that. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like there's none of that here. This is strictly business in a weird, in a weird sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of them, you know, it's just, it's tough when you're writing with new people too on this format because you don't really know them. Now, yeah. I had one that was a crazy situation. We didn't even do it on Zoom. We did it on FaceTime, but we were kind of teeing up a song for um, our buddy, Luke Combs, Brent Cobb and I. Um, we were starting to, you know, Brent had this really cool melody, nice chord progression. And I was just like, you know, I got off the phone with the buddy the night before who gave me this. He was like, he always calls me. His name's Alan Sykes. He lives in Florida. And he always tries to pitch me song ideas. And he was like, man, you really should do this six feet apart thing. And I'm like, oh, oh. like, I don't know if I want to do that. And then uh, funny enough, we started working on it. And then Luke texted us like the day before we were supposed to write, which was April 14th. And he goes, guys, is it cheesy to write something about this or should we just do it? And I was like, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny you say that because, um, you know, we have a title. Brent has a cool melody. And the sun just went out over here. It's all good. It's all good. Um, there you go. And uh, and he he jumped on it and then played it, went viral the next day, and then like recorded it, released it two weeks later. So that's like not at all a normal uh, circumstance for the yeah. Zoom thing by any means. Because you know, usually these songs that a lot of people don't understand is when you record, you know, when you write a song, by the time it gets re recorded and put out, it's usually about a two to three, sometimes four and five year mark. Oh yeah. The, when you're actually going to hear them so to be able to be in this you know pandemic right now and write a song that actually gets to radio is incredible that's like right there i'm like even if i don't write another <laughs> song for the rest of this whole time until we're back to whatever i'm like all right i got one in, i in got one off well yeah. the funny thing is too my brother called me this is probably like two days ago and he's like did you hear that new luke luke Combs song six feet apart and i was like yeah i i did actually and i'm actually talking to the guy who writes with luke so i guess yeah. that brings me to my first question one of my first questions here was how did the luke relationship develop because obviously you guys uh have a number one together so i mean that has to be first off congratulations because that's such a, 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 a accomplishment but how did that relationship materialize man um about seven little over seven years ago i started a thing called revival in in uh, nashville and it's like a songwriters thing where we kind of push each other to dig a little bit deeper um, and play the songs that mean something to you luke was coming in from north carolina still in college at the time came up to me and just asked to play revival. I said, sure. We got a date booked, uh, me, him and Channing Wilson. And, uh, that was the first song we ever wrote actually. Oh my God. Yeah. So and at the time it was pretty wild. Like, cause you know, he's not the stereotypical, um, country star look. He doesn't have that. He doesn't you know, have the, the square jawline. He's not out here. Jawline and, <laughs> and, the, and the rock hard abs and all that. But yeah, he's man. Himself, and that's where, what has worked so well for him. So, um, he came up to me, he was like, Hey man, you want to write? I was like, hell yeah. So we went, we wrote and, um, you know, he recorded that song, uh, and put it out. And after that, you know, his career kind of started to take off shortly after signed a record deal, publishing deal. And then he eventually re-recorded the song and put it out as a single. And that's where, you know, history, that's, that's, that's part of history. Yeah. I mean, I it's was, crazy. I always wanted, cause I, I was just working with, um, Kenny from AWOL Nation, an alternative band out of LA, and they have like an all-time hit in the song Sale. And I was in his studio and I basically I was busting his balls for like a half an hour just about the song because that's like what they're known for. But my question to him, and the same thing to you, is when you wrote that song, did you kind of know you're like, okay, that's one. I know this is gonna be something. 
No, I mean, I knew it was special. We were actually trying to, Channing and myself were trying to pitch it to other artists at the time. Really? Then, yeah, because, I mean, Luke really didn't have anything going on right. at, at that moment. And and uh, Luke actually got offered to get the song recorded by Chase Rice and ended up turning it down. I don't think nothing against Chase, but I don't think he could have, you know, sang it the way that it, it should have been sung. Yeah, that, that track is magic. I think Luke was the perfect person to do that song. Yeah, yeah, it was it was wild how we did it too because I spit out that you know Luke had the idea they got the best of me, and then uh, Channing wasn't making coffee in the other room. He goes, "No, she got the best of me." I spit out the first verse, still don't even know what it, the words mean. <laughs> point, and then I was we were kind of going back and forth, and I was like, "What if it was really like anthemic?" We're like, "She got the best of me," and Luke loved it, and Channing yeah. loved it. And we, we wrote that song in about 40 minutes. And that's how it always goes. The best stuff just flows. And I love the fact that you said, I don't even know what that first verse is about. Because I can't yeah. tell you how many times people will come to me and like, what is this about? And I'm like, that's one of the ones I actually have no idea. That just, it just sounded good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I just kind of fall out of the sky. I mean, like to me, I was just going back to like, you know, past relationships that didn't work out. And when you're 17, you don't think about you know, you just you just live in the moment. And, you know, as we get older, we we really stop living in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Until- you don't really have the choice as you get older. You kind of have to be looking at things on a, on a kind of a meta scale. But I mean, I'm I'm, in, I'm inspired by the story, of course, of so you're from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Uh, if you're not familiar, Westchester has a very special place in our band's heart and in my heart. I met or me and my wife met in high school, but we both went to Westchester University. Okay. Uh, and me and Ken, our bass player, started the band out of the dorms in Wayne Hall at Westchester University. So uh, Westchester has I a special place. I've a few times myself. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was telling Rob before we got on the podcast, I said that uh, when I was working in college radio, we were getting flyers passed around from WXTU, which is Philly's country station, about Rob Snyder. So I've known about Rob for quite a while. This is like 2011. But it was 2012 you went down to Nashville, right? Yeah, 2012. So to me, like, I mean, obviously country music, that's where you have to go. But was there ever an impetus to do L.A. or New York? Or was Nashville like it for you? Were you going to Nashville as soon as you, you could? I mean, for me, it was never L.A. thing. The one thing that did appeal to me about L.A. is uh, that there's actually a coast. I really have a, a struggle with Tennessee and Nashville in particular that it's so landlocked. Go hang like, out on the Cumberland River. It's your option yeah. right there. <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. I'm a solid nah. air guy. So Understood there i grew up going to long beach island new jersey um since i was a little kid and it's just been uh that's been one of the harder things as far as like when i say i miss my friends and my family it's like that's that's what i really miss it's right. not i don't miss westchester because i definitely do um it's definitely home to me but like when i think of if i'm gonna drive 13 hours north from nashville i'm going right to lbi I'm going oh, right See, I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm from Northeast Philadelphia, so I'm a yeah. Wildwood guy in my blood. That's that's my like. We have to go there. Yeah. Where did you go to high school? I went to Archbishop Ryan. Okay, yeah, I, my buddy Vince. Uh, he's he's older than me, so you probably don't know him. But Vince D'Amico, he went he went there, and we played sports against those guys. I went to Cardinal Harris. Oh, you went? You're a Catholic league guy. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, because our uh, yeah. our bass player Ken, he went to Haver or Haverford, but he yeah. he's a, he's from Delco. See, yep. the world's small, man. It, 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 oh, it's it. Oh, I got Delco. I grew up in um, my, my parents uh, moved back when I was little from Roswell, Georgia. I guess I started speaking with a little bit of a southern accent. And Had dad, to get home. Get get them out of here. So uh, <laughs> we moved in with my grandparents in Broomall for a little bit. And then wow. they passed in Springfield, PA. And I actually went to St. Dorothy's High School. So I went to or St. Dorothy's School. I went to kindergarten through eighth grade at St. Dots. Then I went to O'Hara for two years, my freshman, sophomore year. Then they moved out to Westchester. I went to East High School for my junior year and then got my driver's license, went back to (laughs) O'Hara for my senior year. And then I went to Villanova University, which is another Catholic school uh, for the better part of seven years in the summer. But I did graduate. Yo, yeah, listen, first off, 13 years Catholic, Philly Catholic school system. I am a product as well. Uh, yeah. St. Dots is actually my wife's family who are from Delco. All are St. Dots people. So the circle, the circle's small, bro. Um, but no, I was just going to say, so for you to leave down in Nashville, was there a culture shock at first? Like, Because I know for myself, as soon as we graduated from Westchester, I started going out to Nashville to start writing. And I fell in love. And then as I started to get more ingrained, I had a little bit of a culture shock in 
I don't know if the word I want to use is like the depth of relationships, but it's right. just a different thing. You're it's everything's a work environment in a certain perspective. Yeah, it's I mean the main thing is like at that point, like you said that they were saying my name on WXTU and they were playing playing me on like their version of XM and like the digital formats, and I I got to open up for. Jamie Johnson and, and do oh, the wow. big fish in, in a small pond kind of thing. Like I got to play the XTU ski days and, and do all that stuff that you think like at the time you're like, Oh, this is it. I'm, I'm making it. Well, once you go to Nashville, you realize that you're a dime a dozen. Oh yeah. You realize that the songs that you thought were good are really not that good. And then you got to, now it's time to, to re to learn, to literally yeah. study, drop everything. And when I, when I did, um, I didn't really tell a lot of people that I was a songwriter at first. In fact, I broke up a fight at Loser's Bar, and then I got, boy. I got hired as a uh, door guy, and that's <laughs> how I met a lot of these um, songwriters and artists and stuff. And then, you know, about a six months, seven months in, I got the courage to go play a songwriter ground and feel like just like you're a kid in high school, getting nervous to do your oh, yeah. you know speaking thing. And you bear your heart out and you practice all the time. And, and, you know, you get your ass handed to you, but you start to meet some people and you start to co-write. And it's definitely a different culture, though. I mean, the first summer, first summer that I was in Nashville in 2012 was like the hottest summer in like 20 years in Nashville. Yeah. And, you know, I'm walking around in jeans and I'm like, this is <laughs> unbelievable. Like, just it's a different no type people. of heat down there, bro. It really it, is. It is. It's an oppressive heat for sure. It just it gets you. But uh. Yeah, like overall, it's just different. Like you know, you can't just go to a Wawa and get like get That's like a, a good good roll. You can't get a cheesesteak anywhere. You can't get a good hoagie. The but one good thing about the the Nashville situation though is you can go to a Mapco and buy beer. You can't do that up here. Yes, you can. I mean, there's 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 giveaways and takeaways for for every single thing. But um, you know, it, it's definitely different getting used to it. You know, you. I grew up in Westchester where, you know, and then you go to Nashville, it's like where I was first living, there's like a Tennessee quick cash and the title max on every corner of every street and there's yeah. pawn shops and, you know, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a lot different. And, and like the difference, the main difference that I picked up on was all these people were saying, bless your heart when I did something stupid. And I didn't realize that was, <laughs> they were calling me an asshole or giving oh, me yeah. That's what that meant. So it took me a little while to, to catch up on the Southern uh, ways of, of living and all the, the jargon. Fun, the funniest thing is like what I quickly learned was that the Southern hospitality is in so many ways backhanded in the fact that yeah. things like bless your heart and <laughs> up here, we'll just tell you to fuck yourself down there. The, they will eloquently tell you you were wrong and you'll never even know what happened. Yeah. You won't even know it. It's like when I used to lifeguard, uh, you know, like 15 years ago and I, I worked with all the Australians and all the girls. Oh were, yeah. And the moms on the beach were always infatuated. And they, these guys could say whatever they want. And no one would even understand. They just liked the way that they sounded. And it's kind of similar to that for me. It was definitely a, a culture shock. That and ranch dressing on everything. These people put ranch on their wings. And I'm, I'm like, not a oh. ranch guy, man. I'm a blue cheese guy all the way. Yeah. I think that's a violation. On the we Do we – my hardest thing, too, is because I'm curving it a little bit, but I have a terrible Northeast Philadelphia accent. This is me curving it. But uh, they gave me – Don't so, curve it, man. Bro, that, that, we were – Thing that I learned that that made me um, that people knew that I was being authentic was when I came to Nashville. I wasn't like, yeah, I always had a pair of cowboy boots, whatever. But I also had my Eagles hat on and my Phillies yes, hat on. And you know, some people, most people call me Big Rob, but some people, like when I get an attitude, they'd be like, "Here comes Billy Rob." And you know, it made me love that. authentic to who who I am and own who you are too. You know, so much of what we talk about on the podcast, especially when we're talking to artists, is about authenticity and about being yourself. And uh, a lot of times I was on a right and we, we stepped out to go to Bar Taco and uh, I walk in and I'm wearing a shirt that says City of Brotherly Love on it. And I walked in and the second I walked in the door, somebody grabbed me by the back of the shirt. And I was like, what the fuck? And they were like, are you from Philly? And I was like, I am. Why? And she was like, dude, I've lived there my entire life. I just moved down here. Do you know this guy? And I was like, yeah, I do. I actually bartend. He's actually like my manager. Like, what the fuck? Like, so yeah. it's amazing to me. The only thing I do get crap for, a lot of the times when we're down there, I write out of a studio in Franklin, actually. Yeah. And uh, one of our producers and our engineer, Joe Costa, they always give me shit. And they, they tell me I sound like I'm from Goodfellas. And I'm like, that's New York, so that's different. But yeah. uh, I've learned, especially like I was out in L.A. right before quarantine started. And I wore an Allen Iverson jersey half the time I was out there. I've embraced it. I know who I am. Sure. Speaking of, we got to bring this up because this is the first thing that caught my eye when I reached out to you was your love of the Eagles. If you look past this door over here, if I could show it to you, I have the Daily News framed with Nick Foles 
holding the trophy, confetti oh, falling yeah. down. As a big Eagles fan, I have to ask you, I asked this to everybody from Philly we interview, did you cry yeah. when we won the Super Bowl? And it was – I did not cry, but it was – like I felt – like it, I was so lucky. I actually got to watch that game with my dad and my grandfather who has oh. since. And what a blessing, it, dude. It, it, it was just such a blessing. I did not cry because I was probably like 15 beers deep and like, <laughs> uh, you know, and you're, and you're screaming. You're That's screaming. why I cried because I was 15. Like every time deep. that they tackle a Patriot, they're like, sit down. Like, yeah. I'll never forget. Like when we got, when they, when Brandon Graham uh, knocked Brady into Strip the ground. Sack. And uh, what's his name? The uh, the guy from Tennessee, Derek uh, Barnett. Derek Barnett, picked up the ball. Like that right there to me was just like I'll never forget that. I'll never I, forget. That was my moment because we were watching it. It was all like dudes from my high school, but we were watching it in South Philly at our buddy's house. And before the game started, I'm an emotional dude, so I was like, "Yo, if we win," and I cry. Nobody's yeah. busting my balls. And they were all like, "You're good, dude." Strip sack happened. I fell to my knees in a crowd of people and I just lost it. My wife yep. stood, my wife stood over me and this is how, you know, this is a real one right here. She yep. was yelling at me to get up because the game wasn't over yet. Not, yep. not like you're crying. She was like, get yep. up. There's still time on the clock. Let's go. I got it together. Uh, and then you had to watch Brady throw that hail Mary and almost that was, you know, and, and just being an Eagles fan and being used to the defeat for so long and like yeah. almost getting there. Like I'm, I was never a big McNabb guy. Cause I, thought he just didn't have the killer instinct you can't throw up in the in the huddle in the super bowl and expect <laughs> no, me to love you back to the huddle like he had a load in his pants i just yeah. wasn't a fan <laughs> but anyway like i the whole thing with like that game was even after they won that's why i, I didn't cry or anything because i was waiting for them to be like okay no everyone all they're interviewing everyone on the field i thought they were going to call it back even up to like of a course. week later like, oh yeah, we, we, would find, we would find a way to blow this we would find a way yeah. to, for some sort of like Technicality. Yep. I, I went to the parade. I actually did it. Did you solo. go? Yeah, I went to the parade and then um we were up there um with family during that week. And my wife was like, you know, I was talking to her. I was like, you know what? I need to do something with that no one likes this song. So I actually just used what the Philadelphia Union did. I put it out under like a punk rock name. Oh and I <laughs> that, I did that and I just overdubbed my voice a bunch and recorded it with the band and I put it out. And then Angelo Cataldi called me one morning and interviewed me. And it was, I did the whole no one likes us. And we used um, Jason Kelsey's clip of, oh. uh, if I don't eat breakfast in the morning, I'm pissed <laughs> off. So, and, and it got around to him. And my buddy Owen Schmidt um, was good friends with him. And he actually played on the Eagles for a year or two. And uh, I got the thumbs up from approval from Kelsey. So it was just really cool. And they were going to have me play it at the Wing Bowl. Uh, wing Bowl's but- gone. Once you win a Super Bowl, there's no more wing bowl. So. Nah, man. Well, I guess that's the price we pay. Yeah. It's fun. We have a good Jason Kelsey story as well. So we were playing the Wells Fargo Center. We were opening for Bon Jovi. And uh, this was right after the Super Bowl. So this was May of 2018. And I got in contact with Jason Kelsey's people. We have a horn section in the band. And I was like, Kelsey, come on, man. He's down there playing with the mummers. Like, sure. got in contact with him. I was like, he'll never get back to us. Got back to us. He's like, dude, I'm going to be out of town, but I would love to be there. And I told the story on stage at Wells Fargo while we were going into one of the songs. And everybody thought he was about to walk out on stage. And I was like, but he's not here today. And like, legit, I just started hearing people boo. So (laughs) I quickly got used. I'm getting used to the boos, I guess, because I I should have fucking known that was coming, but I didn't. Um, But so now back to the music side, we're in this situation right now where nobody can be on the road. Yeah. Songwriting sessions are kind of suspe- not suspended, but it's not the same. You know, no, what are you doing right now? Because, I mean, for us, the podcast started before the, the pandemic, but, like, that was our way to connect with people when we can't be out on the road. Is there anything you're doing right now that's a little bit different than what you were doing before? Definitely, um, I'm doing a little bit more writing for myself, which I know doesn't make a ton of sense because I'm not really a touring artist to begin with. Um, you know, for me, a perfect scenario would be like an opening slot with somebody that's got go- something going on and be able to just go up there acoustically, do what I do for 30 minutes or go play songwriter, uh, traveling songwriter rounds or songwriter festivals. And that's, I'm good with that. I don't right. need to carry a band and do all that stuff. But um, for me, it's just, you know, I put out a record full re- full length, like 10 tracks back in uh, June, I believe. And I just enjoy putting it out. It was like a cool process for me to do. These are songs that not really like artists aren't going to want to go and cut. They're just specifically right. my story. 
And now I've just been writing more geared towards that right now because it's like, yeah, I can, I can write a million songs with these possibly maybe artists that you get right. all the time. You're like, is it going to work? And then I'm waste, not wasting, but like I'm using all my ideas on them. And, and then there's so many factors that have to, like the stars all have to line up for that song to ever make any kind of money. So of I think like, if I already know that like, you know, there's nothing guaranteed whatsoever. It's like, I'm just spending a lot more time to answer your question is like just writing songs for me because like I've gotten such good feedback of the stuff that I put out. And I loved it by the way, Jersey. I, I ran, I ran Jersey the other day when I was driving uh, into New Jersey. So I just wanted to let you know, that's all my playlist. Yeah. Thanks man. No that's problem, awesome. brother. Yeah. So uh, just do a little more of that. Um, and just being more strategic. Like when I know I have a right coming up with so-and-so that's looking for, you know, that's recording soon or going in the at least cutting, you know, just trying to have something that I think they would do it. You know, they think they might like, or just being a little more prepared because not every right goes great with these things. I mean, not every right goes great every, you know, anyway, Ever. regardless. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but now it's just, uh, just thinking a little bit more and, and trying to slow down and live a little more. Cause you can easily get caught up with just writing song, writing song, writing song, writing song, yep. and you could be on fire for a month, two months. And then, and then like all of a sudden, you know, you get one really bad, right? It'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. And yep. then all of a sudden you're in a slump for a while. So, I mean, to, to me, like, and it's interesting you brought that up because I don't get the opportunity to interview a lot of songwriters in this capacity, sure. but explain the differential between, cause I don't know if people really understand the differential between writing for somebody else and writing for yourself. I think you put way more of it, of your time and energy into writing for yourself than I do for other people. Cause you can wind up knocking things off of other people. And when you're writing with a different songwriter, the sure. load is shared, is shared. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, like, to, to answer that, like, for me, I'm just very, very, very critical of what I'm going to say. And, and the number one thing is honesty. Now, if I, being from Westchester, PA, write with, uh, I wrote with uh, two great guys, Larry Fleet and uh, Will Bundy, both uh, Southern gentlemen. And uh, the title that Larry had was Don't Give a Dern. Now, <laughs> for me to... For me to say, you know, what I what what I feel about that, like I'm never going to be able to look myself in the mirror and put out a song, don't give a darn, and have anyone take me seriously, including right. myself. But for whatever reason, these things I've been to a lot of these places that we're talking about, and I'm yeah. like, what about this? And I was on fire that day. It's like for me, it's easier because it's not not that it's not close to my heart. Like I care about what I'm saying, but it's just it's easier for me to just have let my ADD that God gave me just, just roll. And, and then for them, there's somebody that's, that's like, I like that. I don't like that. And I can be a feeder and just spit lines. And, and then, and then, you know, there's no better feeling on that. Like when you're in a write with somebody and you're the one who's feeding the fire and you're the one who's like throwing lines out. But like for me, like there's nothing I enjoy more than when I'm writing with people and that I don't know. And then I figure out they keep the same kind of a pace that I do, as opposed to when you're working with people you don't know. And then all of a sudden, like, they're more plotting. They want to like take their time and ease into it and come back to it. But I'm somebody who, when I write, I'm, I'm trying to get it done. Yeah. And I think it's just like, it it depends. There's so many factors. I mean, some days it's me. Some days I get up and take my golden retriever for a walk or a run or a hike. And then I'm charged. I'm good. By the time it's time to, to, to clock in, I already have a couple ideas. My brain's quick. Now, if I'm getting up a little dusty in the morning and I don't feel, I don't have anything going on, I'm going to be like, hold on, let me get a coffee. Yep. It's, you know, you might not be writing. A lot of people don't realize, but in Nashville, it's like these rights, you know, songwriters don't start at earliest till 10 o'clock, sometimes 11. And then you could be home by three or four or sitting at happy hour at five. Exactly. You know, it's just, that's the way kind of this town's set up. But, uh, but, but I've, I've noticed that when you get up and get moving and, and show up, I mean, that's the number one thing, man. I know so many people that credit the beginnings of their successes by showing up. Like, oh, what, yeah. what if you slept through that one right? Or what if you didn't show up? Because this is the only job in the world where you're not going to get in trouble if you, hey, man, I'm just not feeling it today. And Actually, like, it's kind of a relief from time to time. When you're not yeah. feeling good, then somebody else texts you and they're like, oh, man, you know, I, I got something come up. And you're like, well, thank God, because that wasn't going I do it all the time. Today. I call it a snow day, even though we don't get snow <laughs> here. I'm like, I'm like, all right, cool, snow day. <laughs> I will say the difference for me, rather than somebody who lives in town, is the fact that when I come down there, I'm down there for a week. And I have every second of every day planned out. So when I go down, I'm generally on fire because I know I got to work as opposed to someone who is immersed in in the community and living there. You guys move it. You guys move at a different pace. And it's because you have the luxury of being there. 
and it is definitely a luxury. And, you know, I know a lot of people that are successful that do that, that come to town once a, once a month, twice a month. That's, that's my general, yeah. like, frequency. Yeah, you, you got Wyatt Durrett coming out of Charleston, Isle of Palms area. You got Lori McKenna coming out of Boston, Massachusetts. And they, you know, they got more number ones that you can count on both hands and both feet. And it, if you're it's good, just, you'll get found. You know what I mean? And if you put the work in, you have to put the work in. But, but they also are getting a lot of their uh, inspiration from where they are located geographically. And I kind of sampled that a little bit last year. I just signed my deal with, uh, with Luke Combs and Jonathan Singleton. And Congratulations. Tally Canterbury. Thank you. At, at a company called 50 Egg. And I decided that before uh, Nikki, my wife, and I got married, that we were going to go to LBI for a summer. So. Nice. Instead of me just not, because I'm still getting my songwriter draw, I'm still getting paid. She quit her job, and I said, let's just go to the beach, bring her dog with us, and we rented this little 500-square-foot place, and it was awesome. She got to go to the beach, because, I mean, I was spoiled. I grew up going to the, to the beach every summer, sometimes more than the summer, sometimes a lot of the year yeah. I was there, <laughs> instead of uh, doing my homework like I should have been, but um, that's kind of what Yeah, that's kind of what happens when you get bit by the surfing bug when you're like, you know, 16, course, 17 just don't care about school anymore but <laughs> I, I, I planned out all my flights um and I flew back to Nashville for 10 days every month and and then as I was doing similar to what you're doing I was doing the okay I have two rights this day one right this day this day this day then I'm gonna go see my buddy Joe Fortner is playing down in Athens for like a blue otter festival or something like that and I just make sure I have everything lined up and then if there's a cancellation I got to see the other side of it because yeah. if I had, I got canceled on, I'm like, shit. So I'm sure if you get canceled on when you come to town, it's pro probably pretty heartbreaking. Cause you're like, you can't be like, ah, oh, cool. We'll just get another one. It's like, no man, I'm here. It's I'm here sucks, but at the, at the same time, I I've developed so many relationships. Like I have really close friends and just my, my producers that I work with down there who sure. I'm like, okay, well, if something falls through, I'll call Trace yeah. or I'll call Joe and I'll just be like, yo, let's open up the studio in Franklin. Let's get to work. Yeah, you got another person that you can get with. But I mean, the good thing about being in Nashville is I don't know how many people I've bumped into at a bar, at a grocery store, at a at anywhere. And that's where a lot of business a business is done. If you're a songwriter or an artist and you're out in public, guess what you're doing? You're working because you're going to run into somebody. I had to explain to somebody the other day what a hang is, where you just yeah. go out and you wind up fucking bumping into somebody or grabbing drinks at a show just to see if you can wind up bumping into somebody. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a very and, unique and thing. You got to watch your ass there a little bit too, because if you get a get a little buzz on, you got to watch what you say because oh, you don't yeah. know who the next thing. And and that's my advice to any uh, aspiring songwriters out there: just be cool. Number one rule: be cool. Be cool to everybody because you don't know who's going to be the next guy that you know come along and could could potentially change your life. And that's just that's that's why the town's so cool because it's you know don't judge any book by its covers. You don't nope. the guy flipping burgers could be the next big thing. Well, and that was something you brought up earlier. You work in the door uh, down at Losers, down that way. And um, one of my first, I always bring this up, Nashville has such a name drop culture to where you can just be talking to somebody and they'll bring somebody up. And Oh, yeah, uh, my buddy this, my buddy that. We, yeah. were, uh, we were playing a show at uh, the basement underneath Grimey's. Yeah. And uh, Nate, who I mentioned earlier, we were walking out the door. He was going to smoke a cig. And he was like, said, what's up to the doorman? And or he was a former doorman, which I found out. But he was like, you know who that guy is? And I was like, doorman? And he's like, nah, he plays bass for Sturgill Simpson. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck is this place, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was just on Letterman last week. Like, what is this? It's incredible, man. And I mean, that's just everywhere, too, because it's hard. I mean, even when you make it and sign your first publishing deal, yeah. you can't live off that. I mean, most of these guys, the kids are getting, some are getting even less. But I mean, a, a, a good first publishing deal is anywhere from 18 this is 18 to 20 grand a year and now you're still going to have to hustle man but you're also getting your self employment tax which is going to be 35% on that so take that right off that that you know but if you if you're a songwriter you're probably not paying your taxes till you get a big cut anyway like nah most. you're writing all that off anyway <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And like, you think you make it. And then like most of these deals that these publishers are, are giving you as a first, you know, first time deal signee is you're signing, you're giving up half of every single song you ever wrote yep. of your catalog of your publishing. You keep your writer share, but you give up all that. And then anything you write in the, it's usually a two year term for the first one. 
um, unless you have it worked out otherwise, you're giving up full publishing to every song you write in that two years. It's unbelievable because you, you, you meet so many songwriters who are just dying for a deal and they don't even talk about the fact that you're going to lose a lot of your, basically all your ownership. And it's kind of the give and take, especially when that first deal is not going to be what's going to set you up for life. Yeah. So it's kind of, it, it's, it's a situation to where even if you get signed like that, you're still grinding. And if you, yeah. if you, if you don't grind, you're going to wind up fucking yourself in the long run. Yeah, it's definitely a it's a climbing a ladder kind of thing, and it's paying dues, and and you learn it, and like the the business is ever changing too. I mean, now yeah. it's like if you have a number one song, which is is gonna be great, it's gonna change your life, but it's nothing compared to what it was uh, fifteen years ago when people were buying CDs. You know? Oh yeah, ten years ago, it's just the money scale with the streaming has hurt the industry so much. It's it's opened it up for touring, but now. We're not touring. There's not hard dates for big acts right now. Until 2022? 2021, July, they have some stuff. They have two schedules, basically. One that starts in March of 2021, but it's more realistic that it'll be July through September. And then the super hard dates are all 2022. Bro, I mean, we lost, we lost out on so many shows. And we're, I'm a touring guy. I love to tour. Yeah. And uh, it sucks. But at the same time, I've definitely taken this opportunity to say, how can I do things different? How can I do things better? Because in, sure. in a weird way, that wheel that just keeps turning, which is the music industry, there's a, yep. stick, there's a stick in the spokes right now. And is, for, for people who weren't set up previously, this can be an opportunity to open up a door that they didn't know existed. Exactly. And that's, that's good that you brought that up. I mean, I was on the Spotify thing because I was saying, yes, they're giving away music for free, but they're, you're going and finding out about new bands and touring and stuff oh, like yeah. that. You're going to see a resurgence of people fighting for more royalties now uh, for artists and songwriters, just because no one's getting tour money. I mean, all these, they're all taking out the PPP loans and all that stuff right now, just to keep, um, you know, all the mouths fed right now, but yeah, man. Smaller acts, they can't, they're not being even being offered loans like that. So I think if you get the streaming royalty settled even a little bit, it's going to help out a ton of people. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see something like that in the next couple of months. But it's just an ongoing battle that's ever, ever, you know, it just started way back when we were little kids. And of course, were, man. Lars from Metallica was screaming at <laughs> Napster. You Napster. Know? What, yo, you bring up Metallica. I just want to know, like, is there anything besides country that you've been listening to pretty heavily like are you basically like immersed in the countryside or are you, are you uh, dabbling others man i have a tough time listening stomaching country radio i mean i know <laughs> that my my goal is to get songs on country radio but i kind of pride myself with getting some substance in there and that doesn't mean i want to have all these depressing break your heart songs and stuff like that but i just feel like i like i listen to you know, I'll listen if I got a song on the radio. Like, yes, there's nothing cooler than hearing your song on the radio. But it's like, the then when I when I get rush ever, when I get like the uh, super poppy stuff and the and the I guess they're calling it boyfriend country now. I'm out on all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, I could say that you know I'm gonna am I gonna try to write it? You bet your ass I'm gonna try to write it. But because you know you have to evolve, you have to you, you know you have to do what you do well. But then like if you're what you're doing's not not working right now, you gotta try to you know I gotta baby ride the wave gotta, a little bit, man. I gotta figure out like what you know what I have to do. What what can I offer? Um, have have you ever worked with anybody who's not in the country world? Have you ever done anything on the pop side or more of the rock side? Like you ever work with anybody on that side? Um, yeah, like I fool around a little bit. Um, I brought a couple songs to uh, Jess Margera of CKY. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Chris, uh, his buddy Chris, we 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 started doing like a little side project thing. It's not like official or anything like that, but yeah. we started working on some tracks. I love rock. I mean, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, Black Label Society. And then like you, you asked me about Metallica. I liked Metallica, but like for me, that got my blood uh, flowing was Pantera. Oh, okay. Like, into that and then i also was like big into like skateboarding snowboarding surfing so i loved all like the skate punk like the pennywise no effects lag wagon of all that stuff. it's, it's um, weird to hear those names come out of your mouth knowing this like the, the the countryside that you're working on that's fucking awesome i love that well the cool thing about country now is too is like i know i give it a hard time about the poppy stuff but like my thing is like okay if we can have that and have all these like you know, the, the track beats and the snap tracks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. If it's that wide open of a genre, now you, you got guys coming along like Hardy, who's making songs sound like, um, like that post pop punk emo kind of stuff yeah. with like the, the heavy guitars, like the Sum 41 sound. And like, you can hear people's influences. So I'm kind of getting excited. Cause like, if we could come up with something that sounded like clutch and, 
and and yeah. uh, and uh, like Travis Meadows put together, I'm in. Sign me up all day long. The weird thing was when I first started getting into the countryside, it happened. I was playing baseball at Westchester University, and those yeah. guys were blasting Luke Bryan's Spring Break albums through sure. the speakers on the field. But then I started hearing other things like the Brantley Gilberts of the world, and then even I'm going to throw the sure. Florida Georgia line out there because I was shocked when I heard those guys. Yeah. Their guitar setup reminded me of like early two thousands rock with it sounded like Paul Reed Smiths through like like they they were fucking well, rock guitars sometimes. It's funny I did my homework on that a little bit because I noticed that too. But that's actually Joey Moy who produced Nickelback. See, and I was gonna I was gonna drop the name. They were Nickelback guitar tracks. I was surprised. Yeah. So basically, it was like, and I'm not a Nickelback guy by any means. They're not even <laughs> a pleasure. We have this lot. argument all the time on the podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just love the memes where it's like, look at this photograph, and it's, it's fucking dude. Yeah. I want to know what Chad Kroger did to somebody in the world that was like, let's just shit on this guy for the rest of eternity. I don't know, man. People in the country music world are tough on Canada. Like whether it's country music <laughs> artists or just rock or anything, they're just, I know some super talented people from Canada that are just uh, one girl in, in particular, Kelsey Kulik is one of the best voices I've ever heard. She's like an angel. Um, great songwriter. I she actually wrote a song on my record called um, with me called uh, the want wanderer and she sings backups on it. But she is, uh, she's one that I've been pulling for and still pulling for. I think she's going to be like, you know, they haven't had someone like really break through since, uh, I guess there's a girl now, Tennille Towns. And then before that was like Shania Twain. I was going to say Shania Twain's the only Canadian country. The thing is right. though, Canada is running like the music years. industry right now. I mean, between yeah. Drake, The Weeknd and Justin Bieber, <laughs> yeah, Canada has his foot in the door. But other than Shania Twain, I couldn't really think of anybody. Yeah, yeah. No, in the country world, it's it's definitely not that way. You know, you, you, there's that stigma where, like, I write with certain writers, and they'll, I'll be like, yeah, this person's good. They're from Canada. They're like, are they good or Canadian good? <laughs> are <laughs> they know? good or Canadian good? Yeah, you know, and, and, and that just, you know, they, there's always – they have – you know, you think that it's hard coming from – I came from 13 hours away to Nashville, yeah. but like, they're coming from, like, 28 – 29 30 40 hours away and they, they got to be coming for a good reason you know what i mean like they can't be schlubs and coming in here coming from that far no, away no and there's a lot of there's even on the america americana side there's like culture wall there's there's a lot of talented people from up there yeah i mean i feel like the american the americana side they they tend to like bridge the gap a little bit yeah. and i mean i've worked with some great americana people down in nashville sure. um but dude rob this was outstanding dude it was really nice to get to get to talk to you and hopefully we'll have you on for a part two um anything you want to say before we got off uh man i'm just uh come say hi uh i'm on uh i guess I, i'm on instagram it's just big rob snyder i have a facebook it's rob snyder s-n-y-d-e-r and i got a record out that i put out in june you can stream it for free on apple music and uh spotify and it's just uh, it's called the way that i am we're gonna and, throw the link uh, to that in the story for the band's instagram too so that'd be great man and then yeah, you man. gotta let me know next time you're in town man we, I, like i said we got a baby coming but we'll get us we'll get us a beer and, and we'll, we'll write this one too man hell yeah man it sounds great rob great catching up with you dude we'll talk to you soon all right thank you bud all right buddy